Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm Claire Navarro. To continue our ongoing series on language, for today's podcast, we're joined by Karina Hoxon. My name is Karina Hoxon. I'm in the Department of Education, and my work focuses on literacy in and out of school, um, digital media and learning, and also urban education. Hoxon joined Hold That Thought to talk about her research relating to literacy and poetry. In this case, I don't mean the poetry you might remember studying in high school. Instead, the poetry that drives Hoxon's research is created by high schoolers. Her interest in this line of work was sparked while working with a diverse group of students in LA and the San Francisco Bay Area, where she was a teacher. She frames her work with sociocultural theory, which views literacy as much more than the ability to read and write. Rather, within this line of thinking, literacy is considered a social practice. And Hoxon saw this version of literacy playing out amongst high school students. A lot of the times what I saw was that they were writing for their own purposes, regardless of what was happening in the English classroom. So many of them, I realize, were just writing and using poetry as a practice. Not only were students using language in sophisticated and nuanced ways, they were writing about their own experiences. In many cases, the work wasn't intended for a teacher or even for friends, but for the students themselves. And in addition to that, because again, this work is framed with social cultural theory, uh, I started to look at what was happening outside the school context, outside of the classroom context. So for the ethnography, I ended up you know, going to particular spaces where either they were hanging out, um, they were performing their poems, they were engaging in peer group workshops, writing workshops, and after-school programs, um, and even just on their own, right, building community around poetry. Looking at these spaces outside of the classroom led Hoxon to the realm of spoken word or performance poetry. You've probably heard of poetry slams. These spoken word competitions have become hugely popular across the country. Here at Washington University in St. Louis, a student group called Woo Slam recently hosted its sixth annual Poetry Grand Slam. In her line of work, Hoxon has attended many such events. Here, she describes what it feels like to attend a national competition in San Francisco. Imagine yourself in the opera house. This is a landmark in the city of San Francisco, seating capacity over 3,000 people. You walk in this building, flows and flows of people, right? Standing room only. And then in the background you hear all kinds of conversations. And then the program starts. Lights dim down, you hear some music on stage, and poets are getting ready, and they're hyped, they're really excited about being there. Now imagine, groups and groups of young people are there from different parts of the country. There's energy. And then you hear, the first poet comes, the next poet comes, third poet comes, and they share work that they have. 
done in the past year or maybe more with so much passion. And the use of language, I mean, it takes literally one second to be drawn to what's happening in this, in this particular space. And so, you know, someone like me interested in literacy as a social practice, you start to pay attention to the context of this room, what encourages young people to be here, to want to be here, right? And so the answers sort of just emerge naturally when you sit there and you listen and you listen intently to what they're saying, how they're saying, the event becomes m much more than a competition, what they call a slam competition, right? It becomes about sharing, sharing their experiences, using the language of poetry, the intensity of language in poetry. And you leave there feeling like, why is this not happening in every classroom? And here is part of why this type of work is so important within the field of education. Unfortunately, many English classrooms and other learning settings fall short of that energy Hoxson just described. But she believes that through culturally relevant practice and meaningful engagement, that can change. What happens, you know, in the era of accountability, right, and, and standards, we lose sight of how young people are, are using sophisticated um, tools, how language plays a really key role in how they make sense of their experiences. And so this was, you know, one approach to really understand that. And it's important for uh, many of us in education because, you know, if one of the ideas is to, as a teacher, to engage students in the classroom, then it's important to understand what are their interests? What are their practices outside of school that, um, that are engaging to them? How do we use those types of practices to invigorate what we do in the classroom so that learning is exciting, learning makes sense? Spoken word performance is one of these types of practices. But Hoxson also believes that educators should be aware of how young people's increasing use of technology can partner with literacy. In today's world of YouTube and social media, what poetry can sound like, and even what it can look like, is changing. Over time, I've become really interested in how, in young people's sophisticated use of media, new media tools. So not only do we have the written word, spoken word, but we also have uh, visual and multimedia poetry. So multimedia tools have affected the forms that poems can take, and in some cases, they have also changed the audience and intended purpose of the poetry. Going online can mean reaching a wide range of listeners or viewers. And as a result, many youth are creating and sharing poetry as a form of participatory politics. For instance, there's a UCLA uh, junior uh, student, Cy Stokes, who produced uh, visual multimedia poetry about the underrepresentation of black students at UCLA. But that created a lot of conversation around the country, and I argue around the world, right, about underrepresentation of students, in this case, African-American students, black students. So 
we see this convergence of, again, poetry as a re-emerging cultural phenomenon and social practice with technology and how now, with the creation of visual and multimedia poems, there's a larger reach. So the audience isn't just in a theater, right? Or a cafe or a classroom. Instead, the viewers of this poetry can be behind a computer pretty much anywhere in the world. But you might be asking, where does this type of multimedia or visual poetry fit into a podcast series all about language? The use of visual language, right, creates another layer of meaning. And, and there's also sound, the use of music in some instances, to create another layer of meaning in terms of mood, for instance, right? One could argue that there are multiple layers, right, and multiple uses of language and modes that create different ways of interpreting the visual or the multimedia poem. It's important for scholars and educators to be aware of these types of expression because if teachers understand the ways in which young people use language in creative and powerful ways, that knowledge can be brought back into the classroom. It becomes important, one, to create those types of spaces where we can affirm youth voices, right? Have a legitimate space. Because we, we, we do so much every day to kind of flatten youth agency and youth voice, that it it points us in that right direction. What happens when we actually create that kind of space where we can affirm youth voice? And then step back and ask the question, what do we learn from this and how do we create something similar in our classrooms and in our schools? Many thanks to Karina Hoxon for contributing to Hold That Thought. You can find a link to her faculty page, more information about Wu Slam and spoken word poetry, and many more ideas to explore on our website. We're at thought.artsci.wustl.edu. That's thought.artsci.wustl.edu. You can also search for Hold That Thought on Facebook and Twitter, or subscribe to our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or PRX. 